Great job, guys. Great song, great thought. I hope you're excited Jesus saved you, if you're saved. And if you're not, today's a good day to fix that. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It should be sitting in a chair ahead of you on that little rack. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 794, John chapter 15, for many months now on Sunday mornings, we have been, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> if you've ever sat near me, you would be thinking, thank God. <laughs> For many months on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about things Jesus said exclusively to His disciples. Uh, we're very near the end of this series, and uh, I had 31 messages in it when I planned it months ago. And uh, if you're new here, I've reminded our people about this many times, but if you're new here, for the most part, I do series of messages that uh, I plan months in advance. My, my desire is to feed you a balanced spiritual diet rather than one that just sort of jumps up and around with how my week goes. And uh, my desire is that you would have a balanced Christian life and a balanced view of our Creator, and I believe God's Word will do that. Uh, we're near the end of this 31-week series, and I've been praying and working already on our next one, uh, which is going to be a great truths written in simple words. I hope you understand that not all profound things have to be communicated with us with large, complicated words. Some of the most helpful things in life, uh, and some of those helpful things in the Word of God are given to us in simple words, in the bottom shelf, so to speak, so that all of us can understand and be benefited by them. As you know by now, because I've probably said it 27 or 28 times, uh, Jesus on occasion spoke exclusively to unsaved people. Some of those who were unsaved when Jesus was here uh, listened to find fault. Others listened because they were interested in what He had to say. By and large, though, uh, he spoke to crowds that were a mixture of unsaved people and his disciples. Uh, but on occasion, he also spoke just to his disciples. If you're here this morning and you are a disciple of Jesus, the word disciple just means learner, then I think you're like me when I say, I want to know what Jesus had to say exclusively to me. Uh, you may not have realized it, but in a, a few moments ago when we sang... Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's actually singing a Bible verse from the book of Hebrews, and it is really the immutability of God, God's unchangeableness and Christ's unchangeableness that we rely on, and whatever He said to His disciples back then, uh, under similar circumstances, He would say the same things to us uh, today. Last Sunday morning, uh, we talked about Jesus telling His disciples to abide in Him, to be fruitful in life. Jesus, of course, is the true vine. His Father is the husbandman. Uh, those who believe in Him are the branches. And branches who abide in Christ, those who stay close to Christ, bear much fruit in life. We saw Jesus tell His disciples that every branch that doesn't bear fruit, He takes it away. He takes it away from fruitfulness. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it, He purges it, so that it would bring forth much fruit. And we learned how Jesus taught His disciples that any disciple who continues to be faithful and stays 
close to Christ through the pruning process of life and ministry will end up bearing much fruit. And we encourage one another to stay close to Christ. Uh, We cannot do anything of spiritual value in our flesh. We can do nothing without Him that really matters in eternity. Now, as we get to our thought for today, one of the things that both believers and unbelievers desire most is happiness. uh, To have joy uh, in their life. I realize that technically speaking, the word happiness is linked to what happens around us. And technically speaking, joy is an internal quality that comes only from God. I realize that, but at times, the Bible uses those terms in the technical sense, and at other times, it just uses those words interchangeably, and that's what I'm going to do this morning uh, through the course of uh, this message. Now, one of the things that believers and unbelievers both desire most is happiness, have joy in their life. I'm told a man in the third century was dying when he wrote these words to a friend, quote, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, but I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They've found a joy which a thousand is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. They are truly a joyful people. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. You're able to stand. If you would stand, please, in honor the Word of God. What did Jesus exclusively say to His disciples? The title of my thought this morning is this. I want you to have joy. I want you to have my joy. John chapter 15, beginning in the Word of God in verse 9, says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Thank you, might be seated. Most of you by now recognize this to be a portion of Christ's message to His disciples on His last night. Uh, John 14 through 17 all records words of Jesus exclusively speaking to His disciples. And if someone knows they're soon to die, they make very purposeful choices about what they spend their time on, what they do with their last hours. And the Lord Jesus Christ, though He came to seek and to save that which was lost, He didn't spend His last few hours trying to get a couple of last people into the kingdom of God. What He spent His last hours doing was spending them with His closest disciples, teaching them and preparing them because He knew He would soon be gone and they needed to provide leadership to His people. Now, there is a part of the love of God for us that has nothing to do with choices we make. God loves us because God is love. Hear me when I say God's perfect love for mankind moved Him to send His only begotten Son to die on a cross for our sins that we, through faith in Him, could live forever. God loved us. Listen, when you think about God loving the world, understand that God doesn't love a world that follows Him. 
Our world, by and large, is in rebellion against their Creator. Our world, by and large, denies the moral values He is, uh, stands for and teaches as a part of His character. Our world, by and large, denies the priorities He wants mankind to live with. Our world, by and large, does not care at all what God says about anything, and yet God so loved the world. God is love. Uh, God does not love any of us as disciples or this world because we deserve it. God loves the world, God loves you, and God loves me because God is love. His love for you and me does not diminish, nor does it go away when we sin. To God, who we are is more important than what we do for Him. But on the other hand, God's love for what we do is linked to what we do. That part of God's love is linked to our obedience. Notice what Christ said here in verse 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. By the way, why would He tell them to continue in His love if that automatically happened because they were saved? Notice what He says in verse 10, If, if, you keep my commandments. You shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. There is a part of God's love for us that has nothing to do with what we do or fail to do. That's true whether you are unsaved. That's true whether you're saved. God's love for you is unchangeable. God is love. But God loving what we do is linked with what we do. If you're here and you're living in rebellion in God against God, God loves you, but God hates the rebellion you choose to live in. In fact, if you're here and you're saved and you refuse to obey Christ, God loves you, but He hates the disobedience you willfully choose. In fact, if you're here and you're saved and you choose to sincerely try to follow Christ to abide in Him, God not only loves you, He loves the way you're trying to live for Christ. By the way, don't get mad at me for what I just said. I just told you what Jesus clearly said to His disciples. And just like Jesus abode in His Father's love because of His obedience, Christ's disciples abide in His love because of our obedience to Him. Now, it should be very comforting to everyone here to know that God loves you and that His love for you cannot be diminished. His love for you is not on trial. His love for you doesn't go up and down with how faithful you are. God loves you perfectly and completely because God is love. On the other hand, it should be a great challenge to those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ not just to rest in God's love for us as people and as His greatest creation. It ought to challenge us also to try to have our life model what He wants us to do, that God would not only love us, which is unchangeable, but that He would also love what we do. By the way, if you're a parent here, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I can say, well, you have a deep love for your child and you hate what they're doing at that moment. Your love for them does not make you love what they're doing when what they're doing is ugly. It's exactly the same with God our Father. As I said earlier, my desire as a Christian is to first bask and rest 
in God's unchangeable love for me, but it is also that I would conform my life and strive to follow Jesus Christ in such a manner that God would also love what I do. Now Jesus, on the heels of teaching them about abiding in His love and the importance of their obedience to Him to abiding in His love, He is about to teach them something else. There's a reason He's taught them everything He's taught them that night. We've talked about several of these things uh, because that whole night was Christ teaching His disciples. There's a reason He taught them that in His Father's house were many mansions and that He would be coming again for them. There's a reason He taught them on that last night that He was the way, the truth, and the life and that no man comes to the Father but by Him. There's a reason that He told them they would do the same kinds of works that He did and greater works in scope because He would return to His Father. There was a reason on that last night that He said whatsoever they asked in His name that He would do. There's a reason on that last night that He taught them that He was sending another Comforter who would comfort them when He returned to the right hand of His Father in heaven. There's a reason on His last night He taught them that they could be fruitful in life and fruitful in ministry by deciding to endure the pruning process and remain close to Christ. There's a reason He taught them that they could abide in His love by choosing to keep His commandments. You say, Brother Wally, what is the reason? Well, look at verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. By the way, I've got that verse highlighted in my Bible. That is a great promise. We'll talk about this more in a couple of moments, but it's interesting that Jesus wanted His disciples to have full joy. It's also interesting to consider uh, Jesus speaking about His joy remaining with them when He left. Now, I, I know I'm not the only one here, but it, it, I've had some people in my life, if they looked me in the face and said, you know what, I hope my joy remains in you, I wouldn't say this, but my thought process would be, no thanks. I've seen how your joy reaches your mouth. I've seen how your joy reaches your attitude. I've seen how your joy permeates your life. And quite frankly, I don't want your joy. Uh, by the way, I think I echo the sentiment of the great majority of Jesus' disciples here uh, this morning when I say, do you know what? I want my joy to be such that the people in my life, if they were to have my joy, it would be something they wanted. That there would have been something about my attitude in life, something about the way my spirit informed my mouth, something about the way I looked at life that would cause them to say, yeah, I'll take His joy. In the case of Jesus... Uh, his disciples would have loved to have His joy remain in them. I mean, think about that. It's a, it's a great statement. 
If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that in Isaiah 53, one of the prophecies of the Messiah was that He would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And yet He lived His life with the joy of God. We know He was despised and rejected of men. And those He loved most and gave His life for. In many cases, we're not interested in Him. And yet He lived His life with joy. He had a difficult ministry. He was disappointed on many occasions by those he trusted. Yet he lived his life with joy. I mean, think about how busy he was. Busy with scheduled events. Busy with events that from the apostles' perspective were unscheduled interruptions. And yet, he lived with joy. His stepfather Joseph, to the best of our knowledge, died before his ministry started. His four half-brothers were not believers in him as Messiah. In fact, they actively mocked him being the Messiah. And yet, he lived with the joy of God. He didn't own a house. As far as we know, he didn't have a boat on the Sea of Galilee that he went to on the weekend. Uh, To the best of our knowledge, he didn't own anything other than the clothes on his back. He didn't have the things that most people pursue in their pursuit of happiness and joy, and yet, he lived with the joy of God. He was a joyful man. What a great testimony to those who knew him best that it meant something to them for them to desire his joy to remain with him. You're here this morning and you're a disciple of Jesus. I hope you're someone who could be described as a joyful person. There's no magic formula to make life easy, to make all your problems go away. That doesn't exist except for in the mind of a few charismatic preachers. Life in a broken world among broken people Battling our own fallen nature, it's difficult at times. And yet, we can be joyful people as Christians. Ellen Seedman wrote an article for Time Magazine on August 7, 2017, and she quotes a social psychologist from North Carolina about the 14 ways to be happy. It's interesting, among those 14, the list includes... uh, Make happiness your goal. The list includes know what makes you happy and prioritize it. The list includes make Sunday a future fun day. In contrast to those recommendations from a social psychologist from North Carolina who doubtless had PhD behind her name, uh, happiness is not a goal. Happiness is a byproduct of choices we make. In contrast to what she said, what makes us happy at a moment, if you prioritize what makes you happy, you're going to end up doing a lot of things that long term will bring you pain. And in contrast to what a worldly social expert might say, I do agree, Sunday is a day to look forward to, but I rather doubt that what she had in mind when she talked about making Sunday a fun day is very different from what Jesus would describe as a fun day on Sunday. 
And it's no wonder when we read things like this that most of our world and far too many disciples of Jesus have so little joy in their life. I ask you again, if you're a disciple of Jesus, would it mean anything to the people close to you for you to say, I want you to have my joy? See, when you look for joy in all the wrong places, beginning with looking for it in yourself, it cannot be found for more than just a moment. I'm glad there is a Savior who is joyful in difficult situations and in a difficult life who wanted His disciples to have joy, His joy in their life and for their joy to be full. And so what I'd like to do this morning is take a few moments and make some applications and observations about Jesus desiring His joy to be in His disciples and their joy to be full. Here's number one. There's no way you can have the joy of Christ if Christ is not in your heart. (laughs) You cannot have Christ's joy without Christ. Christ's joy cannot remain in you if Christ is not your Savior. If Christ is not your Savior, your biggest problem is not your joy, your biggest problem is your sin. See, sin is only pleasurable for a season. But sin, in the end, according to the Scriptures and the honest observations of anyone who's lived long enough to watch how things turn out, is that the wages of sin is death. That sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And be sure your sin will find you out. Hear me when I say the only remedy for your sins and potential to have real joy is to repent and call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. Changing your ways will not wash away your sins. Doing good from here on out, even if you were able to do so, would not wash away your sins. Nothing will wash away the sins of your past. Nothing. Religion cannot wash it away. The Baptist church cannot wash it away. Getting baptized cannot wash it away. The only thing that washes away our sins is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blood He shed on Calvary's cross. A death He died that He did not owe Himself. And a powerful resurrection that showed us and guaranteed that He is the Son of God and that everything He said is true. Some want the joy of God in their life without God in their life. But it doesn't work that way. Hear me when I say lasting joy is not a man-made product. You need to call upon the Lord this morning for forgiveness. See, the prayer of salvation is not something you, well, I I did that last night, I did that last week, I do that all the time. That's not the prayer for salvation. One of the synonyms for salvation in the Bible is being born again. And when you were physically born, it wasn't a hand one day and a leg the next day and a torso the week following that. Uh, You were born once. All of you. And salvation, and the prayer for salvation is just like that. It is an unmistakable moment in your life when you recognize yourself to be a guilty sinner separated from God. You recognize that Christ Jesus paid for your sins, cross and rose again, and that He promises eternal life to those who would repent and believe. You recognize those things and then you choose 
you say, yes, I want that. Jesus, come in my life and forgive me. Are you saved? If you're not happy in life, if you don't have the joy of Christ, listen, you need to begin by getting Christ in your life. And today's a good day to call upon the Lord. Listen, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the path to forgiveness with God and joy in life begins with a personal relationship with Christ. In fact, in a few moments, we'll have an invitation. And you'll be invited to come. Which gets us to our second thing this morning. Number two, our Creator wants His people to have joy in life. We read that in John chapter 15, verse 11. Let's read it again. Well, by the way, we're going to read it again because this is very different from what most people's conception of God is. Most people's conception of God is that if I believe in God and follow God, I'm going to be leaving all my joys of life behind. Most people's conception of God is that everything God wants from life is somehow there to make you miserable. It's all a lie. Notice what Christ says in John 15 verse 11. says, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Like everything else, we don't get God's joy on our terms. If you want God's joy, you get God's joy on God's terms. And obviously, the first way that happens is applying the things... Jesus said in His conversation to the disciples. And though most Christians wouldn't say it out loud, the reason they don't try to follow Christ more closely, the reason they're not faithfully committed to the things of God is that in their heart, they don't believe they're better than the things that they're doing. Did you know that God has always wanted His children to have joy in life? By the way, that shouldn't surprise us because there's not a good parent here who doesn't make rules and restrictions for their children for the good of their children. I mean, no good parent sits back and says, you know what, I wonder what we can do to ruin their weekend this time. I mean, no, nobody does that. And it shouldn't surprise us that God, our Heavenly Father, everything He has designed is ultimately for the joy of His people and good. Keep your hand there, but... Uh, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Uh, faithful Jews were supposed to travel, at least all the males, uh, three times a year to Jerusalem. Uh, they were supposed to travel from no matter where they lived uh, during the Passover. Uh, they were supposed to travel from wherever they lived to the uh, temple. Uh, Fifty days later on Pentecost, they were supposed to travel to the temple uh, in the fall uh, on a festival that reminded them of their time in the wilderness uh, called the Feast of Tabernacles. Notice what God wanted for His people and everything they did. Deuteronomy chapter 12, beginning in verse 5, says, uh, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put His name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek, and thither thou shalt come. Thither you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your heave offerings of your hand and your vows and your 
free will offerings and the firstlings of your herd and of your flocks, and there shall you eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that you put your hand unto, ye and your household, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Did you notice what coming to his house and bringing all these sacrifices was supposed to be to them? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Look up just a couple pages to Deuteronomy 16, verse 10. By, by the way, because God never changes, uh, everything we read in the Old Testament is applicable. Some in different ways than others, but it all matters. This is applicable because it helps us understand the character of our Creator. Uh, Deuteronomy 16, verse 10, it says, Thou shalt keep the Feast of Weeks. We would call that Pentecost. And the Lord thy God with a tribute of a free will offering in thine hand, which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God, according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter, thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite that is within thy gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. Do you know what it was supposed to be when they got together for the Feast of Weeks? Rejoicing. Look up just a few verses more, verse 13. Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. And after thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine, and thou shalt rejoice in thy feast, thou and thy son and thy daughter, thy manservant and thy maidservant, and the Levite, the stranger, fatherless, the widow, all that are within thy gates. Do you, do you, do you see the, the recurring theme? Getting together at God's house and Doing the things that God had asked them was a time of rejoicing. Boy, isn't it just a shame and a terrible contrast that to so many people today, going to God's house and doing ministry He's asked is a drudgery. It's an interruption to the things they more want to do. Listen, God in the Old Testament... Uh, had joy for His people doing what He wanted to do. Listen, the joy of the Lord and joy in the Lord is still around today for those who know Christ. Listen, God, if you're here and you're a disciple, you've been genuinely saved. Uh, God wants you to live a joyful life. He's not going to force you to live a joyful life. He's not going to force you to do the things He's designed that bring us joy, but He makes joy available to you. By the way, don't be surprised if you have little joy in your life as a Christian if you look at being faithful as a big interference to your life. I want that to sink in a little bit. Because I think, by and large, one of the ways that Satan gets at disciples of Jesus who are more serious about their faith is I think one of the ways he begins to get at them is to make doing the things of God a burden and a drudgery and something that's keeping them from things that are actually better. Don't be surprised if coming here this morning is a drudgery to you that you don't have the joy of Christ when you came. If you look at the difficulties of life as God being unfair to you, don't be surprised if you don't have the joy of Christ in your life. A story told about a parrot named Chippy. Chippy was peacefully perched in his cage when his owner decided one day to clean his cage with a vacuum cleaner 
His loving owner removed the attachment from the end of the hose, stuck it in the cage, and just then the phone rang. She turned to pick it up and had barely said hello when she heard and Chippy was sucked in. The owner panicked, threw down the phone, turned off the vacuum, opened up the bag, and there was Chippy covered with dust, but still alive, though stunned. Without thinking, the panic owner rushed into the bathroom and put him under the water of the sink to try to get the dust off him. And then when she realized she was shivering, again still panicked, she grabbed her hair dryer and began to blast the hot air on the little bird. A few days later, a friend who knew what had happened to Chippy called the owner and asked how Chippy was doing. The owner said this, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. You know, God never panics or mishandles us. Sometimes the difficulties in life stack up and our focus is not where it should be and we lose our song. We lose the joy of our living. We lose the joy of our faith. We lose the joy of serving. And sadly, many people stop. And then as time goes on in their life, they wonder where the joy of Christ is. You see, looking for joy in the wrong places never produces the joy of God. We must look where it can be found, and it can be found. And I ask you again, are you a joyful Christian? Would anyone want your joy? I'm not asking if your task is easy. I'm not asking if your load has been light. I'm not asking... Have you shed any tears? Life has seasons like that. I'm asking, are you joyful? Jesus said that He wanted His joy to remain in His disciples and He wanted their joy to be full, which gets us to the last thing, number three. How can I have the joy of Christ as a Christian? Go please in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we'll close out. And I know what you're thinking. Good, I was hoping you'd be done soon. How can I have the joy of Christ as a Christian? Philippians, of course, is written from a jail cell in Rome. It's not written by a young man new in the faith. It's written by a seasoned veteran and he writes in Philippians 4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. How can I live with the joy of Christ as a Christian? You must rejoice in the Lord. There is always joy in Christ. Joy is available, but you'll never find it in the place most of the world looks. It comes from the Lord. There's no lasting joy in sin. Sin's pleasurable for a season, but in the end, sinful choices bring brokenness. By the way, let's just pause for a second. Say a little prayer from Mo. Father, I thank you for the joy of assembling with your people. I thank you for people who desire to be faithful and committed. 
I thank you for people you've raised up with skills and heart to help those in special need. And I pray now, Father, you'd be with Mo. Please help him. Please give him what he needs. And give those who are helping him wisdom. In Christ's name, amen. There's no lasting joy in sin. We need to understand that people all over this room would testify of the difficulty seasons of life away from God produce for them. God is the source of true joy. Because God wanted His people to have joy in life, He made ways for that to be so. Why don't we just do this? Why don't you just bow your heads and close your eyes?